I'm glad. I mean, that's yeah. my whole thing is I just want moms to feel comfortable and, and informed and know that they, they, it's literally impossible for them to make a choice about formula that's going to ruin their kid. And I feel like so much of the time that's the fear is like, if they don't breastfeed or if they pick a bad formula that their kid is going to turn out somehow worse than they would have otherwise. Right. And that's just not true. <laughs>
as being one size fits all, when in reality, there's actually a huge variation. So all formulas are required to meet the same nutrient guidelines set forth by the FDA, but the ingredients that they use to meet those guidelines can vary really widely. So you can have cow milk formulas, goat milk formulas. Um, there's now a pea protein formula, soy formulas, and then they use different carb sources. And, and there are formulas that are fortified for preemies or have extra protein, all sorts of stuff. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. So what is your mission then as um, the formula mom? Yeah, that's a great question. So my mission is to help moms formula feed with confidence without guilt, stress, and shame. And, um, you know, the culture that we live in, I think everybody expects to breastfeed. They know that that's the optimal first food for infants. They've heard it at their pediatrician. They've heard it from their OB, whatever. Um, and there's a lot of support for breastfeeding. There's classes, there's lactation consultants, there's everything else. And um, so you have this sort of dichotomy where you have all this support, but then the CDC says that 80% of moms will end up formula feeding before their baby turns one. And there's just no information out there. And so you have these moms who are often you know, sleep deprived, hormonal, exhausted, overwhelmed, and they're standing in front of the formula aisle and they're like, what do I do? And they don't have any any good information. So that's my mission is just to provide support and information for moms who might be looking to supplement or switch to formula feeding. Right. Awesome. Yeah. And you, you're right there. I have, your account is the first that I've seen like anywhere, you know, on the internet, mm -hmm. yeah, there might be a couple article, excuse me, articles or something like that, but there's no um, mission or no place, no, no place on the internet or anywhere dedicated to informing about formula. So yeah. that's amazing. Wonderful. Thank you. So, okay. I know from your Instagram that you, um, you had gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. Which pregnancy was that in? So interestingly enough, I was misdiagnosed with my first pregnancy. So I had failed the first one hour uh, glucose tolerance test. And then I did the three hour and I narrowly passed. I mean, it was like right on the line. So of course my doctor was like, okay, well you passed, but just, you know, take it easy on the sugar. And I was like, I passed. And I was eating like donuts and Snickers bars the whole time. And so then when my daughter was born, everybody was like, whoa, you had gestational diabetes. Like, um, my fluid levels were too high. My placenta was really calcified and aged. She was um, seven and a half pounds, four weeks early. So she would have been big, big, big. Um, and her blood sugar was all over the place. So they were like, whoops, <laughs> guess we missed that one. Um, go into labor without um, medical intervention? Like, was it, did you spontaneously go into labor? No, I actually had a complication with my placenta. So they, they delivered her early scheduled. Um, and then we were all grateful that she was early since it right. was obvious that she was about to have some significant complications from the uncontrolled diabetes. And I should have known because my mom had gestational diabetes twice, and then I have an identical twin sister and she had gestational diabetes twice. Oh. And obviously so much of it is genetic. And so I should have advocated, I think, looking back for, uh, for them to do another tolerance test, maybe two weeks later in the pregnancy, um, because I think they would have caught it, but when all was said and done, you know, she was fine. I was fine. We knew to be more careful next time. So then my second pregnancy, um, they did an early screening, which I passed. And then, um, 
I was officially diagnosed when I was about 26 weeks and he was so healthy and it was just a much healthier pregnancy this go around, um, yeah. being able to monitor it. Cool. Yeah. Um, just a quick note on that for moms listening, you know, a lot of people want to complain about being diagnosed with gestational diabetes and then they're, um, they often question whether or not they actually have it because, you know, mm -hmm. they're eating what they normally eat and they're uh, doing their blood sugar checks and the blood sugars are within range and everything. But uh, overall, even if it is a misdiagnosis, it's for the health of your baby, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it brings awareness too, because yeah, if you go on in your pregnancy thinking that you don't have gestational diabetes, mm -hmm. And then like you did, you were eating yeah. bars and stuff, then yes. you know, it could be so terrible. So mm -hmm. just, uh, I guess. Some no, I agree. And I am now like an evangelist, especially on Facebook where moms will talk about wanting to skip the test or yes. they don't think they need to do it because of X, Y, Z, like other than my family history, which is a big risk factor. I mean, I wasn't of advanced maternal age. Like I have a normal BMI. I eat pretty healthy, like generally throughout my life, it would have been easy for me to be like, oh, I'm, I probably don't have it. It's fine. Uh, and so I'm now like very passionate <laughs> about encouraging moms to take it seriously. And even if you manage to pass the three hour test to, you know, that means that your, your body's still not metabolizing <laughs> that sugar appropriately, even if you pass. Right. So yeah, it's hard. I know. And especially considering that blood sugars usually get higher at during towards mm -hmm. the end of end of pregnancy I can't talk today yeah um, so yeah just even if you do pass the test you know mm -hmm. try to take it easy because you never know things could switch and you're not even yeah. know it until it's too late absolutely yeah I wish that there was more conversation among the general public I feel like so many pregnant people view the glucose tolerance test as just something they have to get through um and I don't think there's a lot of education about like why we do it. Like, what does it mean if your blood sugar is higher than normal? You know, how do you maintain adequate blood sugar, all of that? So I'm thankful. I learned so much through my gestational diabetes journey, even though of course it was, you know, frustrating and stressful at times mm -hmm. that I wish I would have known just generally about blood sugar and about, um, you know, carb composition and um, all of that. Yes. So has, has having GD changed the way that you eat? Yes and no. I will say after my baby was born, my second baby, I literally think I ate like 13 cookies. <laughs> like I was like <laughs> yeah. in that postpartum room and my father-in-law brought them and I was like, all right. <laughs> um, so I, de I definitely went on like a binge right after, which I do not think is recommended. But um, yeah. I think what I, what I realized so much is how many carbs are in things that I had previously assumed were protein, like cashews. Right. Cashews have more carbs than protein. Um, and, but it also made me realize that it was easy enough to make like smart swaps of like, okay, instead of a bagel, I can eat half an English muffin. And that's, you know, going to be way better for my blood sugar. And it still feels, you know, like I'm eating a breakfast sandwich. Excuse me. And so uh, I have definitely maintained some of those swaps yes. just because I know generally speaking, a lower carb lifestyle is healthy for me. Right. Yeah. I'm the same way. Like I don't, I love carbs. 
I mean, who oh, doesn't, you know? I know, I know. Especially bread, just every form of bread <laughs> is amazing. But um, yeah. yeah, ever since uh, having GD and then kind mm-hmm. of getting into it and really getting educated on it, and I'm looking at stuff and I realize how blood, high blood sugar affects more than just, you know, yes. your blood sugars. It affects yeah. everything in your body. Yeah. You know? And so I'm like, well, you know, I do want to be healthier. I do want to feel mm-hmm. good, you know, so I try to be mindful when I am eating. Um, but, you know, there are some days when I'll just mm-hmm. eat a candy bar. Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that will be the only thing I eat all day, though, because I'm just <laughs> so busy with other things. And then I'll yeah. be like, oh, wait, I ate a candy bar. Yeah. Today. I really need to reel that back in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So on your Instagram, when mm-hmm. you posted about having gestational diabetes, the graphic that you posted says, gestational diabetes, why some babies need formula. And mm-hmm. you said, mom's blood sugar is too high. The baby produces extra insulin. Baby is born. Extra insulin makes baby's blood sugar too low. And the baby needs formula to increase blood sugar quickly. Mm-hmm. And that really caught my eye because I know it's often a conversation topic in uh, the Facebook groups about how moms mm-hmm. don't want their babies fed formula if the blood sugars are too low because they know that that is kind of a, um, a go-to or a default option mm-hmm. that the hospital staff uh, tries for when the baby comes out and tests with low blood sugars. And maybe um, they want to try that first instead of trying the mom's colostrum first or whatever mm-hmm. like that. So can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think generally speaking, a lot of even in the Facebook groups, a lot of moms who have gestational diabetes or who struggle with blood sugar late in pregnancy don't realize that the big risk is low blood sugar in their baby when the baby is born. Um, I think the general idea, a lot of people tend to think that, oh, if their blood sugar is high, their baby's going to be born with high blood sugar. (laughs) But in fact, you know, their pancreas is working just fine. um, And so they end up being born with low blood sugar um, because they produce so much extra insulin. So just like you would with a type one diabetic, if if you're having a a low blood sugar episode, you want to increase that blood sugar quickly using glucose. That's why you'll see, you know, glucose tablets or or those sorts of things in the pharmacy for people with type one diabetes. So um, formula is just an easy and accessible way to increase blood sugar quickly. I absolutely agree that if you have access to colostrum, if your milk comes in and, or you have, you know, tried to collect some prior to delivery, if you have that available, that's awesome. What we do know though, um, from the LLHA league is that gestational diabetes can delay milk production. So you have this sort of double-edged sword where you have these babies who have low blood sugar and they need a sugar source, a carb source to get their blood sugar up. But then you also have these moms who have delayed milk production because of the gestational diabetes. So it sort of hits on both sides. Um, and that can be really frustrating for a lot of moms because they want to you know, they want to give their baby what they perceive to be the best. Right. The big thing that I advocate for though, is that you know, I realize that people have concerns about formula. They have concerns about ingredients. They have concerns about how introducing formula early might impact the breastfeeding relationship. But definitively, without a doubt, without question, giving a baby formula for low blood sugar is safer than letting them continue to have low blood sugar. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I never want moms to feel like that's a choice that they have to make. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also a lot of ways that babies can be given formula that 
in order to raise that blood sugar without impacting the breastfeeding relationship. So they can use a medicine dropper. They can use a spoon even. Um, they can use what's called a supplemental nursing system where they run a tube you know, down the side of your breast uh, that feeds formula while the baby is attempting to, to latch. And so um, there are a lot of ways that, that you can use formula in order to remedy that blood sugar issue without actually um, damaging a breastfeeding relationship if that's what you hope to have. Yeah, it just, it makes me sad that there's, there's such a stigma that some moms would feel like um, that they might have to make a choice between whether to do something that their, their doctor is advising in order to help their baby. Um, right. And then they feel guilty about it. It's, right. it's unfortunate. I know. Yeah. Um, there's so much emphasis put on breastfeeding and that could really take a, such a strong mental toll on the mom. And that's another mm -hmm. post that you made is the link between uh, breastfeeding and formula feeding and postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. So I forget the stat. Do you know how, how, what the percentage was on that? Not off the top of my head. I think it, the stat or the, the research that gets quoted a lot is that breastfeeding reduces the risk of postpartum depression because yes, uh, you release oxytocin and um, dopamine and all those feel good hormones. But I think for some moms, the stress and the pressure of being the only provider of nutrients for this new demanding little human yes. increases the risk. And I just don't think that's talked about a lot. And I think especially when you have moms that, that are feeling like pumping or nursing is contributing to their postpartum depression, they go to their provider and their provider says, well, you should keep doing it because if you keep doing it, it's going to reduce the risk. Yeah. And it's like, no, um, I think generally speaking, there's just a lack of nuance in, in how some people interpret the research about, um, you know, all of the benefits that, that you could get if you breastfeed, because uh, it really just depends situation to situation, person to person. All right. So what are some myths about breastfeeding that you like, what are your favorite ones that you love to just dispel? There are so many. Um, and I will say up front that all of this is uh, linked in my Instagram page. So if, if you're like, okay, this lady's saying this, but what's the research say? I have a bunch of posts on my page called formula myths. And then the number, if you click on those posts um, and then go to the link in my bio, it'll link to the research. So always want to make sure that people know that what I'm saying is research backed. Right. So basically, um, the big myths that I see that people talk about and that are sort of weaponized to make moms fear using formula in order to try to encourage them to breastfeed are that formula will cause obesity, that formula will cause a lower IQ, and um, that formula is poison. Those are the big ones. Um, for obesity and lower IQ, the challenge with the studies that people cite when they're talking about these things is that they don't look at familial relationships. So for the study, and there was a study, it was done, I think in Denmark back in the nineties that said that babies who were um, breastfed had a higher sorry, <laughs> statistically significantly higher verbal IQ scores. So everybody freaked out and they were like, oh my gosh, like if we don't breastfeed, all of our kids are going to be like, you know, multiple points lower in IQ, but they didn't control for the mother's IQ. 
And so when they asked or tested for the mother's IQ, and then they, you know, sorted through all of the data again, what they found was not that breastfeeding led to higher IQs. It was that the moms who had higher IQs were more likely to breastfeed. And I always say that gets into a whole big thing about like opportunity and socioeconomic status and everything else paid maternity leave. And it's all, it's all wrapped up. Um, But yeah, so ultimately what the research found is that the biggest factor of your child's IQ is your own IQ and that um, people with higher IQs tend to make different choices for their kids because they have different opportunities. Um, And so it's not the formula or the breastfeeding that's going to impact your, your child's IQ. So that's IQ. Uh, When we look at obesity, the same sort of thing happened, which is that, you know, they pulled a bunch of data from longevity studies and found that kids with, who were formula fed had a higher rate of obesity in adulthood. However, once they compared that within sibling sets where one sibling was breastfed and one was formula fed, there was no longer any statistical significant difference. Mm. And so again, they did, they concluded that it wasn't the formula that was making these people um, have a higher likelihood of obesity. It was that families who formula feed also tend to engage in other risk factors for obesity, which again goes back to socioeconomic status and opportunity and all of that. So I think a lot of these things are, um, are just sort of cherry picked data to make people feel bad. And I will say also for anybody who's listening, if you wanna breastfeed, I think that's awesome. And I will absolutely agree that I think when it works for you and when it works for your baby, breast milk is the ideal first food for infants. I would, you will never hear me say that formula is better than breast milk. I I don't think it is. I do think it's a safe and functional alternative for moms who can't breastfeed or don't want to breastfeed. So that's sort of my, um, my spiel, but there are really a lot of myths. Um, I'll say one other thing that drives me crazy, which is that sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, you know, if you formula feed, your baby is twice as likely to have ear infections. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've doubled my kid's risk. This is terrible, whatever. Um, But that is total risk. um, And, or excuse me, that's relative risk instead of total risk. So yes, maybe your baby is twice as likely to have an ear infection, but the risk goes from 2% to 4%. So when you look at that total risk, it's still really low. But no one talks about that because that's not as um, fear mongery as saying you have doubled your baby's risk. And you're like, okay, well, I, two to 4%, like, I think I can get comfortable with that. <laughs> like, that's right. not, like that did not increase the risk as much as you tried to make me feel like. So um, I'm all about, you know, trying to help people understand what the data really says. Yes, I love that. That's um I, I don't know if you know about evidence-based birth. Yes. Yes, I love mm-hmm. them, right? And mm-hmm. um, I recently read that in one of their articles that, you know, when doctors talk to patients, a better way for a doctor or any professional to talk to um, a patient is not in terms of you've doubled your risk or you've cut yeah. in half or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like use actual numbers, like in a study yeah. of 10,000 people, mm-hmm. 4,000 had blah, 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 or, you know, you lowered your risk by 2% and, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, um, yeah, because that does, that makes a big difference and it really brings things into perspective. It does. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about, um, uh, like medical interventions, you know, Mm -hmm. that has to do 
with complications, with health, with money, with time, mm-hmm. you know, with availability. There's so much to factor. There's in so there. many factors. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you are able to really put things into perspective by real actual numbers, then mm-hmm. a lot changes. It does. And I think it it helps people feel empowered and and helps them to make choices that they can feel confident about. Right. And that's what we're all about. We are trying to empower moms so that they can feel confident about the decisions that they make. Absolutely. Cool. Okay. Now. Ah, yes. Okay. So when, when it comes to formula feeding, what Mm -hmm. are some common questions that you hear? I know you probably already covered them like with the myth, with the myth. But um, are there any other common questions that mom usually moms usually ask? Yes. So I get sort of questions in a couple of different buckets. I get questions about just formula feeding basics, things like, you know, after I make a bottle, how long is it good for? And how do I store this formula? And do I add the water first or the powder first and all of that? Um, and again, it just goes back to it's crazy that there's so little information that, you know, pediatricians and hospitals are sending moms on their way and you know without really basic safety information so right I'll do a quick run through of that which is that if you're using a powder formula you always want to measure the water first and then add the powder you want to stir the bottle instead of shake it if possible shaking causes air bubbles which can create extra gas in your baby so stir if possible and then it's good for 24 hours in the fridge if it's unused prepared but unused two hours at room temperature and then one hour after it's touched the baby's lips. So got to toss it after an hour um, once you've fed it to baby. But if you haven't yet fed it, it can stay at room temperature for two hours or in the fridge for 24. So those are your general. I'm sorry, is that because Mm -hmm. of saliva uh, Mm -hmm. touching it? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, there's bacteria in the baby's mouth which can contaminate it if we allow it to grow in the formula over time. Okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, those are the general questions I get with formula basics. The biggest question I get is, how do I know what formula to choose? Um, You know, we talked about earlier, there are a lot of different types and there's also just a lot of different brands and it's hard to separate what's like marketing versus what's valuable versus, you know, you can get a formula for $18 or you can get a formula for $44. And is there any real benefit to that? and I don't, I don't blame moms for being super overwhelmed. So um, some tidbits that I give for moms who don't know where to start is that um, you want to look for a formula that has lactose as the carb source. And I think that this will likely be interesting to your followers as it relates to diabetes, which is that um, lactose, as you all probably know, is a slower acting carb than glucose or sucrose. That's why um, a lot of us are able to do ice cream <laughs> for some reason, even if you have gestational diabetes, um, because it doesn't, the, the, excuse me, the lactose doesn't metabolize as fast. Um, it's slower on the glycemic index value uh, compared to corn syrup solids or sucrose table sugar. So um, you want to pick a formula that has lactose if possible, because that's the carb that babies are biologically designed to digest. It's the carb source that's in breast milk. So if you can find a formula that uses lactose, that's preferable over corn syrup solids or sucrose. Okay. Um, So that's number one, lactose. Number two is that you want a formula that has added whey. So the protein composition of breast milk is different than the protein composition of cow's milk. Breast milk has more whey protein and cow's milk has more casein protein. 
So if you're using a formula that is cow milk based, you want to make sure that it has whey listed in the ingredients list, because that means that they have added whey to make the formula more closely mimic the composition of breast milk, okay. which means that your baby's going to have an easier time digesting it. So lactose added whey. And then I typically recommend looking for a formula that has DHA, which is an essential fatty acid, good for brain development. That's abundant in breast milk. We want it for babies if they can have it, as well as pre and probiotics, um, which, you know, prebiotic fiber um, and then probiotic good, healthy bacteria to help develop the gut microbiome. So those are the four that I recommend lactose, whey, DHA, pre and probiotics. I'll also give a shout out that I have a formula guide that is free that folks can download from my Instagram bio. And it has all of the formulas that I personally would recommend and use based on different categories. So if you're looking for a formula for a brand new baby, if you're looking for a formula for a baby that's really struggling with reflux or constipation or whatever else, um, I have all of those built out in this guide that people can, um, can download. Wonderful. Yeah, because I was going to ask uh, if you had a favorite brand. So, um, well, yeah, well, no, it would be better to refer them to the guy <laughs> for their specific situation. Mm-hmm. But so what about you mentioned lactose? What if a baby is lactose intolerant? Mm-hmm. Um, just is there something else that they should look for there or just nix that? Mm-hmm. that um, yeah. Yeah. So this is actually another huge myth. So because I think it's like 40% or something of adults have lactose intolerance. Parents tend to assume that if their baby is struggling with a formula that's cow milk based, that their baby has lactose intolerance. In fact, lactose intolerance in infants is super, super, super rare. And that's because lactose is the primary carbohydrate in breast milk. So um, babies are born with a lactase enzyme because they're, they're meant to digest lactose in breast milk. Most of the time, I know, right? It's like things that you didn't know. So most of the time, if a baby is having an issue with a cow milk formula, they're actually reacting to the protein in the cow milk and not the lactose. So there are a variety of formulas that um, offer either, it's called partially hydrolyzed, broken down milk proteins that are easier to digest, or you can get a hypoallergenic formula, which um, has really pulled apart the proteins until they're, you know, the body doesn't even recognize them as a protein that it could react to. Um, There are also, it's called elemental formulas that are just based on amino acids instead of proteins. Um, So there really are a lot of options. And I will say there are some babies that have lactose intolerance. It's a condition called galactosemia, but it's rare. Uh, So I always caution folks, if they think their baby is lactose intolerant, check with their pediatrician and make sure it's not actually a milk protein intolerance because that's more common and it's also easier to to treat. I see. So when it comes to babies getting formula, whether it's be like, you know, right after birth and they're still in the hospital Mm -hmm. or later on the pediatrician recommending it or whatever, how would, how would a mom find out if, um, how would the mom know if the baby is struggling with something in that formula? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So a couple of things that we look for that indicate that you would need to switch formulas. Uh, first is if your pediatrician recommends it, always listen to your pediatrician, follow up with them. Um, if your baby has an excessive amount of mucus in their stool, that's generally an indication that they're reacting to something likely the milk protein 
in a formula if there is blood in the stool. Um, and sometimes pediatricians will actually run a stool test to look for trace amounts of blood in the stool. That's an indication. Um, obviously, if there's been a recall on the formula, you want to switch. Um, or um, lesser, to a lesser extent, if your baby develops a rash, if they have really excessive spit up or vomiting, um, or if they're really struggling with constipation. And babies, especially formula fed babies, can go up to a week without pooping and it can be normal um, as long as sort of the consistency of the bowel movement is still soft. Um, but if a baby is having really infrequent, really hard poops, then we generally want them to switch. Okay. So, I mean, do pediatricians and hospital staff, do they consult with someone in your specialty to, you know, kind of figure this out? Because like you already said that there's moms walk away with a lot of uh, non-information, so to speak. You know, they walk away not being informed. And I would think that the hospital staff either, they probably just don't know that there's that much information to give. So mm -hmm. is, is your specialty like in a hospital? Are they employed? Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so um, do patients, do moms get to talk to someone like you? No. Typically not. And I wish that that was the case that, you know, formula feeding consultants would be offered like a lactation consultant is offered. Um, right. Typically, feeding technicians are sort of in the background in a, a you know, a sterile lab <laughs> where they can prepare formula and, you know, talk to providers and things like that. Um, something else that makes it tricky for moms is that hospitals and, and pediatrician practices tend to have agreements in place with certain brands. And so if you go to a hospital that is partnered with Infamil, your choices are gonna be Infamil um, options. And Infamil certainly has a lot of great options, but they don't have all of the options. And so um, sometimes the information that you get from your providers is biased in that way where you know, there is a monetary incentive for them to recommend something, which is not always what's best for moms. And that's not to say that they're going to recommend something that that isn't good, but just that um, you might not get the full picture because of that monetary incentive, which is a bummer. Right. Okay. So when it comes to when it comes to marketing and mm -hmm. packaging of formulas. Have you found them to be fairly truthful or is there a lot of deception in formula marketing? You know, I would say it's a little bit of both. So um, the big thing that I see is that brands are obviously doing whatever they can to sort of differentiate themselves from the noise of everybody else. What you don't hear talked about a lot is that all formulas have to meet the exact same nutrient requirements set forth by either the FDA in the US or the European Commission in Europe. So if you look at a formula, it doesn't matter if it is generic brand from Walmart or if it is the most expensive formula that you can possibly buy, organic, whole foods, whatever, they have the same nutrients because they're required to. So um, because of that, I think a lot of moms don't realize that any formula is as safe and functional as any other. Got it. I think sometimes what you see in the marketing 
which I really hate is this term closest to breast milk. Yes. Um, and that, you know, it pulls at mom's heartstrings because they want to feel like, okay, well, if I'm not giving them breast milk, I want to give them what's, you know, second best or what's, you know, just slightly under, um, right. in terms of quality. And, um, I think that that's a lot of marketing because, you know, as we talked about most, you know, all formulas are going to have the same nutrient profile. I do think that you can make choices that get you closer to breast milk, like using lactose and as the carb source and like having added whey and like having those other DHA and prebiotics, probiotics that I mentioned that are in breast milk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that phrase is generally a marketing ploy. Most formulas and most formula companies have those things. Um, if you just look at the back of the ingredient list. So the last thing that I want is for moms to feel guiltier. Like if they already feel guilty, they're formula feeding. We're trying to combat that, but then they feel guiltier that they, you know, have to use a generic or they have to use whatever WIC provides or whatever. Um, the idea that some formulas are significantly better than others, I think is marketing. Right. Yeah. I remember seeing when the first time that I saw uh, closest to breast milk, my kids were both, you know, um, they weren't formula feeding anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, but when I saw it, I got so upset about it because I pay a lot of, of attention to marketing and I am really big on truth and marketing. And so when I saw it, I was like, oh, you're probably lying. And, you know, and so I was like, I would never buy that. But mm-hmm. um, no, you just, I mean, you completely just, I, I mean, I know I'm not fully informed, but I feel so much better about, you know, when I have my next child, like I can take the information that you gave and really make an informed decision and feel confident about it. I'm glad. I mean, that's yeah. my whole thing is I just want moms to feel comfortable and, and informed and know that they, they, it's literally impossible for them to make a choice about formula that's going to ruin their kid. And I feel like so much of the time that's the fear is like, if they don't breastfeed or if they pick a bad formula that their kid is going to turn out somehow worse than they would have otherwise. And that's just not true. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, if, is there anything else that you wanted to say or any reattach you wanted to go over? I don't think so. Just, I appreciate the opportunity and um, just would encourage your, your followers and fans that if they are interested in this and they want to learn more, definitely follow me over on Instagram at the formula mom. I'm also in the process of building a website that's going to have some resources uh, which will be the formulamom.com. And, um, and also if you're listening to this and you're in the middle of gestational diabetes, it gets better and you're doing a good thing for your baby. And um, one day you too might eat 13 cookies in the postpartum room. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Pack the bag beforehand. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, Mama, that was some awesome information, right? I hope that you found it helpful. And I know that formula feeding might not be your thing. And it might be something that you're just staunchly against. And that's okay. This episode was to help the moms who feel pressure about staying strictly breastfed, or maybe, you know, just had uh, a stigma against formula feeding from myths that are out there in the atmosphere and just straight up miseducation. And so, you know, it's always good to talk to an expert about things because the truth of the matter is our doctors don't know it all.
it's always great to get information from a person who knows the ins and outs and works in the specialty and can really give the information that we need to make an unbiased decision for ourselves and for our babies. So I'm going to link to Mallory's Instagram in the show notes. That's all I have for you this time. I'll talk to you later.